Hey, this is Craig Finn. You're listening to my podcast, which is called That's How I Remember It. This is a show where we talk to a variety of creative people about their memory, their perceived memories, their recollection of key moments, and how their memories affect the stories that they tell others as well as themselves. Today, my guest is Jake Ewald, the singer and songwriter from the band Slaughter Beach Dog. Jake first came onto my radar when he was with his previous band, Modern Baseball. A friend had encouraged me to listen, check them out, and I did. I especially got obsessed with a song called Mass, a guitar-driven song that had a lot of words and some wry humor, right up my alley. Slaughter Beach Dog was a solo project that happened concurrent to Modern Baseball. But when Modern Baseball broke up, Slaughter Beach Dog was moved up to the forefront, and it's captured a very enthusiastic fan base of its own. I made contact with Jake about a year ago. We hung out for the first time in Brooklyn, walking around and getting coffee before his band played Williamsburg Music Hall. I think it was January 2023. While we were talking, Jake said he'd only recently gotten into some of the quote-unquote older guys. He meant Randy Newman, Tom Waits, Towns Van Zandt, etc. I thought that was a funny way of saying it, so I picked up that conversation a bit here. Um, the show that night at Music Hall was fantastic. It was packed with people singing every word. Great band, too. I was super impressed. And then this past summer, we met again at Newport Folk Festival. I saw them play another great set and was honored to sit in with them on a version of Neil Young's song, Bars Tool Blues. This September, they released a great new record called Crying, Laughing, Waving, Smiling. We talked about that a good deal here. And after this conversation, I saw them play at Webster Hall in New York City, another great show, and even more people singing along and really captivated by these songs. So yeah, 2023 was the year that Jake Ewald came into my life and became my friend, and I got to spend a bunch of time with his music. That's all a very, very good thing. So here we go. Jake Ewald, uh, Slaughter Beach Dog, thank you for joining us on That's How I Remember It. Uh, Really happy to have you here. Um, I'm a big fan, and I'm excited. And I'm going to start this out the way I start all these podcasts, which is to ask, do you consider yourself someone who has a good memory? I feel like this is maybe uh, an answer that I hear often from people who end up with the job that we have. (laughs) But uh, I remember a lot of um, really precise stuff that a lot of times doesn't actually matter. Um, And I can't remember... You know, definitely can't remember people's names in conversation. Definitely can't remember uh, stuff that would make me a better friend. Um, like all kinds of useful, you know, and practical uh, life stuff I can't remember. But stuff that would, you know, more like, I don't know. I have a lot of emotional memories, but not a lot of, um, yeah, I don't know. It wavers. When you when you say that, do you remember how you like felt at a certain venue or something, or like on a day? Are your touring memories crisp? Like, do you do you remember venues and stuff like that? You know, every now and then I will remember a venue, and I don't. It's weird because when we are on tour and we're you know doing the same thing every day, I don't really feel like I'm dissociating ever. Um, like I feel pretty present sometimes even more so than I am at home. But then two years later, when somebody asks me something about a certain show or a tour or something, I get, it's completely lost. 
Um, which is always so surprising to me because I do feel engaged. But Ian, who we've been playing music together forever and he plays bass in the band, but um, Ian has like, he's got the steel trap for, no, it was that place with the green room there. And that guy in the crowd said that thing about the Dodgers. And then we had Thai food and you lost your, you know, passport. He knows all that stuff. <laughs> So yeah, I mean that—that's actually me. That's uh, like like they, they like every time someone looks to a venue, venues for some reason is something I just remember. And like, who supported that night and who you know? Oh yeah, weird thing happened. How how do you think like your memory or lack thereof? But but how do you think it affects your storytelling and how does it show up? It usually shows up in kind of mundane details. I feel like that was the thing where. Uh, it was kind of validating in my early 20s when I started, you know, we started making records and touring more and people would write about us on blogs and they would usually comment on the mundane details of everyday life in a, in a kind of positive way. And it was really validating, not, <laughs> not, not so much from a songwriting perspective, but from a um, or no, yeah, from a songwriting perspective, it was va- it was validating that like, oh, this is this part of my brain that I thought was broken is actually useful in this context um, because I don't know. I relate to it a hundred percent. I I mean, I like songs with details, um, and I remember the first the first song of yours I remember hearing or at least uh, wildly reacting to was the the modern baseball song Mass, which is you know Snow Globe, Jersey Sheets, Valero Bathroom, etc. And I'm like, like, there's all these details flying by you and, and, and they give you something to grab onto. And I think that that's a part that excites me and almost the part why I started having these conversations, because I think, I assume you, at least you went in a Valero bathroom, or at least you drive by Valeros, you know, you, you, there's a snow globe somewhere. There's a Jersey seat. You're even when you're taking something and making a story that didn't happen to you, you're populating it. I'm guessing with details from your own life. Yes, for sure. And even when I usually, if I steal, I do a lot of stealing from, from books and from movies and from other songs, but usually those things are more kind of emotional concepts or narrative concepts maybe. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the details, if I have to put things in a room or if I have to put myself in a place, it's whether I know it or not, it's coming from something that I have in the bank. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent the same way. Like if I'm writing a story or a song, a song about a guy who's, you know, coming back from the war or something like, which is something <laughs> I've never experienced, but you know, there's, he, he, he's smoking Marlboros because right. I saw someone with a pack of Marlboros yesterday, you know, my thesis on this is, is those are the details that make songs sound honest, you know, because, it's gonna it allows, yeah, it allows you to be fiction, write fiction with a with honesty in it. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes it even I think sometimes well, first of all, the honesty is so helpful because that's what I don't know. At least for me, that's what will turn me off to a song immediately. If I start feeling like something isn't sincere that I'm listening to, then I kind of check out. But then beyond that, I feel like it's a special trick because it helps you create these accidentally really dynamic characters because you're taking like if it is a guy coming back from the war and then you're combining experiences with you know something from your own memory bank which is your brain that has never been to war you're naturally kind of 
crushing these two, you know, distinct worlds together. And you're creating this multidimensional person just because you're combining the two of them. I, it's really, I feel like it's really useful how that happens. I feel like it rarely ends up being, you know, convoluted or nonsensical. And more often it just comes off as like, oh, this is a three-dimensional human being. It grounds it. It grounds it in, in reality, I feel like, um, in a cool way. So when you, as far as memory goes, do you have a first the first musical memory? Like, you know, like when you were young, did you, is there music that you first reacted to? It's been such an interesting journey of remembering musical things from my childhood over time because I just, I feel like the more, the older I get, the more, the farther back I remember for some reason. But the one that I'm on currently is... I remembered, you know, two years ago that my grandma on my dad's side would have this kind of golden oldies CD that she would play in the minivan when she drove us to Chick-fil-A after school. And it had um, Purple People Eater, Earth Angel, um, all those kinds of songs. And I, when I was younger, I, I don't know. Oh, uh, Yakety Yak, that kind of stuff. I think I really liked it at first because I, memorized all of it uh i retained all of it immediately and then at a certain point it just got played so much that i got kind of tired of it and for so long my memory was that you know i don't like that kind of music because i only remembered getting tired of it and then (laughs) (laughs) more recently i've been going back to kind of you know that stuff from the 50s and 60s of like pop soul kind of thing and to hear it now as a person who you know is more familiar with how songs get made and what goes on inside a recording studio. And to hear the details of those recordings and those songs, uh, it's incredible because it's like a completely different style of music from what is on the radio now, but it was wildly successful and it was made with like a totally different set of tools for the most part. Um, yeah, I don't know. So that that's an early one. Yeah, that's CD. I was, I was actually, I just had this thing, you know, like when you're mentioning purple people eaters, things like that, there's sort of a novelty thing. And I remember like, I've just sort of in these conversations had a a vision of like a friend next door had like a novelty, like it was just like a compilation of novelty songs. Hmm. And that got, and someone mentioned something about Mr. Jaws. This is before your time. I'm sure. Have you ever heard Hmm. the song, Mr. Jaws? I don't think so. It's it. I, I mean, I don't know how you would, but it's it's this. Look it up when we're done. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like I remembered it, but then I actually had to listen to it the other day. I had to look it up and listen to it. And what it is is like, it's it's around the time of the movie Jaws, and they're interviewing the shark, and his answer <laughs> is always a snippet of another song. So it's like of an actual song. So it cuts to like mm-hmm. a 15 second like clip of, you know, you know, now that you've eaten that person, what are you going to do? Do a little dance, make a little love, get down tonight. Like it, it, it's just like, and it's real, it's really dumb. Um, but I remember. Does it like, play like, like the actual sample from the other mm-hmm, song? Mm-hmm. So wow. it's, it's got like a bunch of clips within this one song. And I remember being totally turned on by it when I was like, you know, five or six, yeah. like whenever it came out, my friends and I were like, yeah, Mr. Joss, that's a jam, you know? <laughs> and it was just like, it was just like a little comedy recording. I don't know. Um, yeah. How about music that was like the first music that was yours versus your parents or like, you know, apart from your family. That one, uh, that one's easier. 
that one I remembered earlier. It was, we would go to, I think mom took us to Target and I got the All-American Rejects mm-hmm. and Dookie. Uh, cool. And I, I would listen to those two pretty much, um, you know, with no, there was no distinction between the two. They were both just music with guitars and I loved it. And then there was, you know, like when 82, um, my dad was playing a lot of Dave Matthews band. Yeah. And I just didn't really, and also my mom would always put on, I have distinct, well, yeah, the music that was mine, it was those. And then it was kind of just, you know, punk bands. I got like a rock against Bush compilation, all that kind of stuff. Mostly it, pretty quickly went to like Tony Hawk's pro skater soundtrack universe. I think that was kind of my first, uh, you know, home base. I'm under the impression a lot of music got discovered through that Tony Hawk. Um, and I, I understand, I know Dookie and I, I green day. I understand, but the, um, all American rejects, was that something you heard like through friends or was that MTV or, or I think it must've been on the radio. Straight uh, up radio, FM radio, because that was like the total when I was a kid, you know, driving to PVYA baseball, doing the whole thing. If the radio turned on, it was like Jimmy Eat World, the middle, all American rejects, a lot of that horrible stuff. I mean, not, nothing's horrible, but it was, you know, like stained and um, seether, like that kind of thing. But yeah, it was all the radio had a dynamic selection of straight up rock music on it uh which is so interesting to think about now that's totally not the case but yeah i think a lot of the stuff i found was straight up from the radio as you listen to music now do you and this is something i've asked pretty much everyone does music sound different music sound better at different seasons to you like is there fall music is there spring music is there summer or or is not or no I don't know if it does on a broad scale, but I do have super specific, um, I have specific records, a handful of specific specific records where I say, you know, as soon as this season comes, this is what I put on and it makes me feel really good. I think the the one that comes to mind first is uh, walking around when it first gets cold enough to put like a real coat on. Mm -hmm. uh, That's when I do... Tom Waits, Nighthawks at the Diner. And then, what would be another one? I don't know. I mean, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is probably fall. And that's fall? Yeah. And then, I don't know. I'm not really a summertime guy, so I don't really have a big, uh, you know, exciting summer summer vibe. But winter, yeah, I feel like more stuff in the winter. Got Tom Waits. Got to throw on the Vince Guaraldi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Charlie Brown, that's a big one. Yeah. What about you? Winter, I, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to separate Christmas out of winter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like obviously, there's Christmas music. I think, like, for me, fall is 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 the most like like I think REM arpeggiated guitars in the fall. Yeah, so, like I yeah. REM replacements. Um, a lot of replacements make sense. Those records came out. Let it be and Tim both came out in October or September, October. So, oh wow, I connect those with actually their release. Those were like early records that I like was wanted to come out. You know what I mean? Like, like mm. it was like, I was waiting for them to come out. So I really, you know, went to the store and got it. I connected with that, but winter there's like 
jagged guitars like Husker Du would hmm. be one. Like it's funny. I was thinking about Death Cab for Cutie being a winter band, but then I realized they have yeah. that song. They have that song, The New Year, and I'm wondering if that was overly, oh yeah overly influencing me. But like the guitars in that are wintry to me. Yes, for sure. That song, maybe from the same record, We, we Look Like Giants, mm-hmm. that feels like a very winter song to me. It's like talking about being in the back of a car. Yeah. Can I ask you a replacements question? Yeah. As someone who was anticipating the original release of Tim, yeah. how do you feel about the current revamping? I love it. Um, here's what I think. when I When it came out, I was in ninth grade. It was the first time I ever went to the 7th Street entry. I'm pretty sure it was the day Timber was released because it was a Tuesday. And I saw the show, the album release show, and I got the record. I came home and I listened to it and I thought it was perfect. And I was not a sophisticated listener, you know, so uh, I wasn't like, ooh, it was a little muddy. To me, it was perfect and it has remained perfect until a few weeks ago. When um, I got the, the new release and when I, I was dubious, to be honest, I was like, well, why do yeah. you screw with something like this? But I, I have to admit, I absolutely love the new recording or the new mix. And I think it's actually really interesting for people who don't make records as two documents to mm. say, like, this is what mixing is. This yeah. is how, you know, something can become more three dimensional. But, you know, yeah. I never for a second was bothered. And even... You know, there has been a narrative for some time. Oh, Tim's a little muddy. That never bothered me. That's not that's not me. I'm I'm yeah. a song guy, and I was like, but the songs are perfect. But I'm really enjoying yeah. listening to these. And uh, and you know when we you know to bring it back to the question, one thing I think is really cool is that mm-hmm. they released this new version in fall, and that didn't there you screw, go. That didn't screw with my fallness, the autumnness of it all. You know, man, that's cool. Oh my yeah. gosh, that makes it even, that like takes it even deeper for the, you know, <laughs> coming to it again so many years later, and but kind of from the same, uh, a similar perspective at least, starting in a similar place. Exactly, cool. it was like the exact same time of year, the same foliage, foliage, etc., <laughs> you know, um, different place, but uh, yeah, so it was a big deal. Here's here's one, I hope this isn't putting you on the spot, but like, because if, if you don't have one, we'll just say no and we'll cut it out, but... <laughs> Have you ever had a song or I mean, it could also be a film or a book, like a piece of art ruined for you. And I'm I'm, like, the obvious answer would be like a breakup. Um, But like, is there ever any, any music or something that you're just like, eh, I don't like that anymore. I know that has happened. I'm trying to think what it might be. I don't think I have, I don't think I have breakup records. Cause honestly, I don't, there's, there's a lot of music that was attached to relationships I had in like high school that uh-huh. I don't like as much now because I listen back to it and it sounds so just kind of cloying and like over the top. But maybe part of that is me being self-conscious about the emotions that I was feeling in high school when I was listening to and relating to that music. So I don't know. I mean, I was really into like Jack's Mannequin, if you know that band. And they were like, he has like a, a poppier thing now under his own name. And like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's happened more recently. Uh, I think it's more often that I have a record that, you know, I'll listen. I think it's more often that I listen to a record during a difficult time and then it becomes kind of a safety blanket for yeah. me. Like that was what I had with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Um, okay. I heard it, I heard it really late and, it was like during a really emotionally 
tumultuous time in my life. And I would just listen to it before I went to sleep at night on tour to try to just come down and like, you know, get a little, find my footing somehow. And I would fall asleep to it every night. And now if I'm getting anxious, that's one of my go-to, put it on records and it just immediately takes me back to that place. I, I I actually don't have a song like I, I don't you know I don't I don't have one that like is like oh I can't listen to that someone asked me uh, I was just in Vegas and someone asked me like a good question for your podcast told me it would be like do you have a 9-11 song and like do you have a memory around oh 9/11? shit and I was like yeah and I actually did uh, and I remember oh wait like, you yeah, have a song that talks about 9-11 I but do I don't know I, if that was was that fictionalized right. that's no that's that's actually one I wrote but like you know like he was asking like do you, do you have one that you attach, you know, like, like, mm. someone. and I, and, and I realized I do. And it was, um, it's no surprises by Radiohead. And I just remember in the, ad, I was living here and I was, but I was kind of new. I was, I was about a year into living in New York and I was, I was listening to, um, listening to it. I had one of the very first MP3 players it, it held like mm-hmm. 10 songs. And I remember mm-hmm. going over the Manhattan bridge from my apartment, in Brooklyn on the subway and seeing fighter like jets circling the city and that was what was on. And I was like, this is an insane, like, I don't even wow. know how I should feel. And so that always takes me back. But, you know, it, I still like the song. It's not ruined, but it's like very much that that song. And then I think Radiohead put out Kid A, right? Kind of close to that. It, I don't know. Maybe I'm... I'm not a big not making, head, dude. I'm not making... I'm not making... A, I'm not sure I'm not collapsing time, but I feel like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I connect all that music with them. Um, with 9-11 um the new album it's crying laughing waving smiling i got that right right yeah you got uh, them all in order yeah yeah i, I can kind of see it once i say it um <laughs> so what was the first memory of a step towards making the record like at the moon base came out in 2020 and then do the songs are they coming always or do you go through a writing process like do you do you can you remember the first like here we go we're making a new record i guess there there were two songs in particular that I worked out with Zach and Ian, or maybe two or three. We did Summer Windows and Float Away and Bobcat Club. And with those, it's I think it's it's kind of exceptional that we made, you know, band style demos that early in the process, because that was probably two to three years before the record came out. But it was funny because when we were doing that, I don't think any of us really had a record on our minds. Um, we were just kind of, it was still when we were living in the same neighborhood and we had the studio in the neighborhood and we were just being a band. But I don't think it was until I got moved out here to the Poconos and got a few songs deeper, just like building the list that I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be an album. And I kind of started to find, I started to kind of wrap my mind around the, like the lyrical style of it, at least mm-hmm. kind of the narrative sense. And so that was just kind of like a gentle start of the record kind of vibe. But then beyond that, we had a really intense recording experience that was very much on the nose. Like, oh, we're we're 100 percent doing this now. We went in for I think we talked about this before, but we just went in for five days to the studio and ended up doing like 20 songs. Yeah, then it, it was definitely real then. Um, but yeah. When I, when I was on my own in the Poconos and the list started growing, um, that was when I felt it first. Hey, I'm Craig Finn. Here on That's How I Remember It, we often talk about music, 
So I wanted to mention DistroKid and their new app for iPhone and Android. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. With this app, you can sign up and pay for a new DistroKid account or sign into an existing one. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties, edit your account details, check your streaming stats, add lyrics and song credits, edit release metadata, and so much more. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Does some part of it reveal itself to you? Do you like when you start writing songs and you get a bunch, you know, like, you know, I don't know, five, eight, whatever. Do you, does it start to say like, okay, this is an album. This is a thing. Uh, like, like is, is there a thread or something that starts to come to you? Cause that, that's my experience very much. Yeah. Um, hmm. I very, honestly, at a certain point when it gets, yeah, when it gets to five or six, I'm like, this is an album. But I never have the experience of like a any sort of significant connective tissue beyond just like, oh, this is where, you know, where I'm at personally at that time in my life. Yeah, I don't because even when I get when I'm getting up to like when I'm getting up to a certain amount of songs, I'm really just trying to keep the wheels turning and keep it, keep letting songs coming out. Mm-hmm. And then really after we record and get into mixing, that's when I'll kind of start removing things from the equation to kind of dig away and find, you know, which songs really go together. Um, And that's, that's been helpful for me. I guess it's kind of the only way that I've done it is usually I, I kind of find the thread after uh, the work has begun. And I feel like it's less pressure that way. Like I'm never in a position where, we're saying, okay, we need, you know, this type of song to finish out this picture. Um, yeah. 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 I get that. I mean, I always find like, like I'm always sort of surprised, like, like, yeah, when, when, it, when I bring it in and I've got a lot of songs to start talking to the producer or whatever, I'm like, wow, I wrote about a lot about this and uh, yeah. I kind of hadn't noticed <laughs> it. And then I'm like, well, that makes sense though, because this, this, and this, you know, and mm. but when I'm doing the work, it's just the work, you know. So here's a question for you that I think, you know, from one talky singer to another talky singer. <laughs> the first song in the record, "Surfing New Jersey," the first line of the whole album is "Not a poet, not even close." Now, as someone who's kind of has a talky delivery, I've had my own detractors say, "Why don't you just write a book?" Um, you know, and, and do you have, if someone said that to you, do you have an answer for this? Why write songs instead of prose? And I, I think your songs are very melodic and, and you are actually a great singer. Um, but you also do have sometimes a talky delivery and verses and whatnot. Have you ever considered that meaning? Yeah, but I guess I had, I've had a funny response to it. I'm realizing now that my response to that over time has been, oh, I got to get better at writing songs and singing. I need to start writing songs that sound more like songs instead of telling myself, oh, I should just, I should try to, you know, do some other kind of writing, write a book or something, write poetry. But yeah, I always, I think maybe it was that with modern baseball, we just, 
we kind of fell into being a band and being able to be in a band as part of your life. So I think there is a very pragmatic part of me that after that happened, I was like, well, I've been, I've been dealt <laughs> this hand, which is still very cool. It's re- it would really be the most practical thing to just keep doing this because I'm not a big, I'm not a big confrontation guy or risk taker. So it just seems terrifying to try and do something else at this point. I, but it is my fantasy for sure. I mean, being in a band is so... Nobody tells you that writing the songs is like 5% of it. You just, with touring and with performing and with being on the internet and making t-shirts and having to make decisions and like navigate relationships, there's so much. And I very often find myself wishing, I wish I could just go down to my desk and write every day and, you know, send it to an editor and then revise it and um, have somebody tell me when something is due. But, but then I very, I always just come back to like, you know, if you did that, you would be starting over and you definitely would not succeed because who gets, you know, two opportunities in a row, (laughs) two distinct opportunities in a row. So I don't know. What about you? Not to burst your bubble, but the, 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 I mean, the thing is, is I've seen, the people I've known who do writing other types of writing have the same uh, relationship with the other Mm. times of their day. You know, Mm. um, they're trying to find people to direct their film and it's, it's, you know, I don't think anyone who's successful is able to just hand it over. Do you know what I mean? And so um, I think that's part of it. I mean, you know, as far as the songs go though, I just sort of feel like, you know, someone says, why don't you write a novel for a, I'd like to, and and I hopefully will someday but B I think songs are memorable in a way that, yeah. um, you know, when you get a, and, and there's a performance element that I actually like, you know, having a room full of people singing your song, if there's, you know, 500, a thousand people singing your song along with you, that's a, that's a feeling that that's pretty great. And a feeling that, you know, even a successful novelist, might not ever feel, you know, and, and, and there's something beautiful about that feeling that you kind of keep going for. Yeah. I didn't, that's, that's interesting that you say that because I didn't fully accept that within myself until very recently, maybe like a few months ago where I was, I just had that realization that was like, Oh, I I mean, I was thinking about, you know, touring schedule and kind of like thoughts for the future. And I was like, Oh, wouldn't it be nice to not go on tour for like a couple of years for the first time ever. Um, And then for the first time, it just kind of hit me that, you know, there is nothing else in life that comes anywhere near the feeling of what you just said, being in a room with like 500 people and you're all like extremely emotionally invested in this thing and you're having this cathartic experience together. There's nothing that comes even close to that on in like a normal, you know, daily life. But if you're on tour, that's happening every day for like anywhere from... (laughs) And I, I, I mean, the, and then, the, you know, mix in if you cross an ocean to get there. Yeah. Uh, it's like, whoa, like we flew all this way and these people know everything, you know, like that's, that's incredible. Yeah. And you've been doing this for a lot longer than I have. Is it still like, it's just right there. You still feel it. That part still feels great. You know, I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, I, I can't think of it. You know, those, those two hours that the, of the day are always mm. I mean, with very few exceptions are always awesome. It's just the other 22 that you're managing. Um, And I like a lot of it. 
I like a lot of the other parts too, to be honest. I think I like touring more than certainly a lot of musicians my age do. And I've gotten better at it and, 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 you know, uh, sort of know what I need and know my, you know, what space yeah. I need. And, but I, I do enjoy it. Uh, I didn't travel much before the, you know, before being in a band. So I, I'm yeah. sort of just still thrilled by that. So earlier this year we met for the first time we walked around Brooklyn, uh, before your show. And I think January, and, um, you talked about, um, embracing the old guys fairly recently <laughs> that was your, your word. And I classic guys, you know, I think like we talked about Randy Newman and, Neil Young, Tom Waits, and you mentioned Tom Tom's Van Zandt on the record. Did this affect the record at, at all? Do you, I mean, did did you? Pro, I guess that's the thing. I I hear in the record a sense of timelessness, meaning it's not. It's it, it. I think this record is going to sound great in twenty years, as it does sound great today. Was that part of it? I don't. I don't think it was. I think it was. Um, well, I guess maybe it kind of ties into uh, what you asked earlier about writing that made me remember that. I kind of try to get better at writing songs, songs that just make sense as songs, as opposed to, you know, just like fitting as many words as possible into a song, but thinking more about kind of traditional structures and uh, melodic activity. And I think what happened was as I started listening to more and more of that music, I started finally being able to wrap my head around those more traditional forms and structures and what, what really moves a song forward and what makes you pause in a song. Cause I used to think that music was so boring. I used to think that Neil Young and Tom Waits and Randy Newman and all that stuff was like, it just didn't do, it didn't do anything for me. And then at a certain point when I started like investigating the actual songs themselves, I realized that there was this incredible, like there's an incredible power behind a lot of the simplicity in that music. Like I think about, I forget where this was from, but there's some story about Don Henley living above Jackson Brown or something in California whenever they were first starting out. And it was like every morning at 6 a.m., Don Henley, I'm probably getting the people wrong. I know it was Jackson Brown downstairs. Don Henley would hear the tea kettle go off and then he would hear Jackson Brown sit down at the piano and just start working. Like every fucking day, 6 a.m., sits down at the piano making songs. Um, and that really started jumping out at me from listening to more of those classic artists. And I don't know, I think I just, it was really just me starting to take that more seriously and being excited by that kind of, um, challenge, I guess. Cause I really like, I really liked school when I was in school. So in a way that was a thing where I was like, oh, there's this, there is a form. There is like a, there's a sense to this and I can try to learn it. Um, yeah, I think it was kind of from there. The simplicity is, is really interesting in that, like, you know, one thing that I noticed is like, like, and this is not, this is a different thing, but the Ramones are a very simple band. And anytime I've ever heard a band try to recover the Ramones, it sounds terrible. Yeah. Cause you just, it's, there's, it's, it's the essence of the artist. It's stripped down to, um, you know, I, I, when, 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 uh, Prince died a lot, I saw some purple rains that were not good, you know? <laughs> um, and it's, it's because it's, 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 there isn't a whole lot to the song. 
It's mm. it's mm-hmm. it's a performance. But you guys, I, I think what you told me is you made the record like in a sort of a classic way, like you you kind of like saying, "Here's the song," and people kind of reacting pretty quickly to the song you're showing them, and then recording it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's a classic way to make a record. I mean, I think that's the way that the Neil Young and uh, Bob Dylan records were made, probably. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that was kind of a. It came out of we've been working out of our studio for so long now that you know for a long time it was such a scrappy operation that we literally didn't have the resources to do that comfortably. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, when you don't have that many microphones or inputs or whatever, you can't do all the stuff at the same time. But we finally got to, to this place where we were afforded the luxury in our own space of having everybody sit down in the room and actually be able to capture everything at once in a, you know, in a way that sounds good. And we were able to bring along with that, you know, that comfort of having it be in our own space. So yeah, finally just got to do it. This guy, this guy I was talking with last week was just saying like, you know, one of the greatest sounds in the world is musicians figuring something out. And uh, I think that that's why those recordings all sound so good. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not playing something you're playing. You played a thousand times. You're actually like yeah. trying, you, you, you know, and, and I think that that's why those great records, you know, as far as the old guys, the classic guys, I find as I get older, like people with catalogs, um, which, you, you know, yourself would be included now is, is, are much more interest. Like, like my favorite thing is when someone's like, there's this artist you've never heard of. They made music in the early seventies and they have four albums. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get into that. But if it's like, <laughs> yeah, this guy had like one single in 1969. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Like I, 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 I guess as I make a body of work, I'm more interested in other bodies of work. If, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. No, for sure. Something that I, uh, have been picking up on recently that I never noticed before is uh, within a catalog how people talk like I think there's a collection maybe for Tom Waits that what people consider like the asylum years yeah. when he was on asylum and he made a certain number of records in a certain headspace and uh, it's just that's something that totally doesn't happen in a you know a singles context or like a context where somebody's just grinding with a bunch of different acts but when when you're so deep in your catalog that you have like these kind of decades of yeah. particular artists. I was looking at um I was talking to Devendra Banhart on Spotify this morning and I realized, holy shit, he's been around long enough that he has, you know, <laughs> he has his like asylum years or whatever. Cause he put out a couple of records on some small label and then he had like a couple of years on he was on a major at one point and mm-hmm. Uh, he was on, um, what was the other one? He was on None Such for a couple of years. But it was just crazy to see somebody who I think of as like, you know, closer. He's older than me, but he's like, you know, in my lifetime. And he's got enough records that he has, you know, these like chunks. Um, yeah. And it's so, it's just a whole other level to analyze the artistic development. That's so interesting. Yeah, it it yeah, super cool. And 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 that's rewarding because like if you like someone, you can be like, oh, and that you know, Dylan's the obvious, but like you're like, oh, I didn't like the drum sound on that, but but then you're like, oh, but I love that song, you know, and you yep. kind of and yep. as you grow as a person, there's there's eras to revisit. Speaking of revisiting, there's I just noticed something about this record that there's 
a fair amount of food on it. There's omelets, <laughs> spinach, cheddar, caviar, buttercream, margaritas, toasts with the image of Christ, Chinese food. And I've been like a lot of them guests I've been having on the, on this season of the episode. A lot of them actually have had memoirs that I've read and I've, I've noticed there's a lot of food in the memoirs. And I'm thinking, is this, do you think as a musician, as a traveling musician, we might, we might kind of, it feels like a lot of memorable stuff happens when you stop the van and, and like get food. Do you think that's part of why it keeps, why it shows up? Whenever, we just we just got back from the UK like two weeks ago, and when we were doing our kind of hit, everybody's hitting the group chat saying like great tour, you know, it's such a good time. Uh, I said I love playing music and eating food with you guys because <laughs> that's what when we think about what we do and when we talk about what we do, whether it's on tour or at the studio or whatever, it's like we're playing music or we're eating a meal. And because those are the two things, it's like, well, the music's got to be good and the food has to be good because this is what we're living for right now. So I, I, I think it's real. I think it's totally real. Like the food becomes such a huge focus. And it's also just uh, food is such a comforting, you know, emotional thing. And when everything we do is so transient and like we're unmoored all the time, you know, the thing that you still have to do every day is play music and eat three meals. And those are your three opportunities to kind of ground yourself and enjoy something. But yeah, I, I start feeling insane when I am just talking about, we get home from tour and all I can think about is music and food. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. You feel the same way? Yeah. I mean, well, I think there's this thing where you're like, you're kind of sustaining a lot of the times. So if you're moving fast, you're like, the, oh, I'm just got to grab something and like, so we can do the show. But then you have this moment on the tour where someone invites you into their home and cooks for you or something. And you're like, wow, that's like the part you remember on that tour. Kind of connected, like place and geography um, is featured in a lot of your songwriting is an important thing, you know, and this record, you meant, you mentioned Baton Rouge, San Antonio, New Jersey, Florida, Georgia, Tokyo, New York, San Francisco, Galilee, the Bowery, the Pine Barrens, the beer is Mexican. The wine is Australian. <laughs> Are you someone who's uh, particularly in tune to geography? Do you think? Um, I think I have a decent sense of sense of direction, but that's, I don't know. I never considered myself someone who enjoys traveling. So maybe I just do that. <laughs> maybe I'm just turning it into something useful for myself. If I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm tired of running around, but at least I can, <laughs> you know, at least this is adding some, some content to my, to my memory. I don't know. I do. As, as I get older, I'm, I'm seeing more of the significance in like, I've never been the kind of person to like go visit someone's grave or like the house where somebody grew up that I really admire or something. But the older I get and the more I just develop like a, a personal relationship with the art that I love, I find myself drawn to those things. And I feel like maybe that could be, that could be what kind of like starts connecting me to the geography in like a more personal way. But I don't know. Yeah. Cause I never really liked traveling. I, really uh 
neat. I have like obsessive is probably not the right word, but I am very like when I watch a film, for instance, if I'm like, if I can't figure oh, out where yeah. it is, I can't yeah. get into it. Like I need to like, and I'll be like squinting <laughs> at the license plates, you know, saying like, oh, okay, once I know it's Oklahoma, I can, yeah. I can start paying attention to what this guy's saying. But I also like, I'm the guy. I sort of need to know where I am. And so like, you know, when I'm on tour, I like to, I'll just like, first thing is like get out of the van or get out of the bus and walk around the block. And then I know what's around sort of, and then also sort of see like, well, where are we in the city? And, and, you know, you talk about like the places someone's born to, you know, I, I, I really need to spend a little alone time. So like finding like, it, it, if it's a European city, like the cathedral and just walking there and like, like, putting my eyes on it at least and walking back is like it, it, it covers a bunch of different things for me for one I can say I saw it but number two I like I I figured out what's around oh by the way uh so I was driving in and this is not news to you but I, I was driving in Delaware today not today this summer and I saw Slaughter Beach and I that was a that like that was a geographic reference I didn't get there we there's go there's a Slaughter Beach in Delaware is that somewhere you is that somewhere you spent time uh, didn't spend time there, but it was right between, um, when I was at college in Philly, my parents lived in Rehoboth beach, Delaware. And when I would drive, I would pass through Slaughter beach. And I think there were like three different exit signs that were in the running for the band name at that time. And that, <laughs> that was the one that I picked. I've spent a lot of time in Fenwick Island, which is just oh, below. Yeah. We went to, we would go to Fenwick Island growing up. My parents had a yeah. little, um, like a little house there. And that was the beach we always went to as kids. Oh, awesome. Well, we have that in common. Mm-hmm. Um, how about the Bobcat Club? Is that a, re- is that a real place? Uh, it's not called Bobcat Cub- Club in real life, but it is absolutely based on a bar that's very close to the studio and where I used to live for a long time. Um, that's one of those just like, it's your neighborhood dive bar and you see yeah. the same people in there and they're doing same stuff but that's that's where i would always go with a book um and just post up yeah and the bobcat club just sounded cooler uh yeah it sounds cooler it's a well yeah i don't live there anymore so i guess i can out it it's actually called the monkey club which is like a little little goofier i thought bobcat was like more brooding Um, i i get it (laughs) I, I, I wanted, like, I was like, the Bobcat Club sounds like an awesome place to hang out. Yeah. Like, you know, it sounds like it's it's brooding, but could be wild. Yes, like, exactly. Also, right? On a certain, could be maybe on like a Thursday night, it gets really insane. Or later, later at night, because cats are <laughs> nocturnal, you know. Um, That's true. So I've been I've been kind of closing out these with the with the same question on um, everyone this season, which is um, and it's I guess it's geography as well. But where did you grow up? What was your hometown? Uh, mostly, I'd say Frederick, Maryland. It's like a DC suburb, but more cornfields. Like a far out suburb, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were like an hour away. Obviously, you've, tra- you've traveled the world, you toured, and all this, uh, and 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 you've also just grown older. But how has your relationship with your hometown changed? Do you find it like? Do you look? Is it like a rose-colored glasses? You look back, or is it like, oh, I've realized that it's not the place I want to be, etc. Like, ha- has it changed through your travels, or is it? It has changed a lot. Yeah, I think when I was younger, uh, I think over time what I saw in it changed because when I was younger, all I saw was kind of just suburbs and housing developments and schools and things like that. 
But then when I got older, uh, and also just talked to some friends who grew up there too, the whole time we were there, I just took for granted that we were in like a really mountainous region. Like when you're looking down, you know, the main state road with all the big box stores on either side, you see the mountains in the background. And if you would go off that road with the fucking Taco Bell and everything else, you would get these kind of, you know, more rural, like in the woods kind of homes that are the kind of place where I would love to live these days. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just interesting. I used to, you know, when I was growing up there, I was like, why would anybody live here? And then I have a friend, um, Pete, who actually spent a bunch of time in Milwaukee after he left Frederick. And he would just talk so romantically about Frederick all the time. And he always wanted to go back. And I was like, you know, Pete's actually right. But he just did, you know, he actually like went on hikes and hung out with his friends <laughs> in nature. And like, you know, he would go to the cute downtown area and go to the little bars and stuff. So, yeah, it's funny what things pop out at different times. Funny what things pop out at different times. That's true. I think it also applies to the keen eye for detail that Jake shows off in his songs. All the great details in his work. I really love it. I love speaking to him here. Huge thanks to Jake for taking the time to join us, listen to his music, and catch Slaughter Beach Dog on tour coming up in 2024. Listen to Mr. Jaws, too. That song I brought up, the novelty song, Mr. Jaws. What the hell was that? I'm not sure. Um, we got more great episodes coming up. We've got more great guests coming up. Keep listening. That's how I remember it. I'm going to be going out myself, Craig Finn. I'm going to be going out solo, supporting the Mountain Goats duo in late in January, mostly down south and into the west. I also have a solo tour of the UK and Dublin starts in February. That's supported by the great songwriter Scott Levine. At the end of that tour, we've got a live podcast recording in London on March 2nd at the Moth Club. Check out craigfinn.net for more details on all that. Come be a part of history, the first ever UK recording of this podcast. It's going to be awesome. Um, this is the last episode of 2023. We'll take a break for the holidays and get back to you with more episodes in 2024. We have some amazing guests coming up, so keep listening and please subscribe. I really appreciate you being a part of this. I'm Craig Finn, and that's how I remember it.